We're going to be in Psalm chapter 78 this morning. We are not going to read the entire psalm. It is a long one, but that is where we are going to spend our time today. So join me in Psalm 78. As you're finding Psalm 78, when I was a kid, uh, I went to summer camp. Anybody go to summer camp when you were younger? All right. Um, Went to a couple summer camps. One camp, its name was Gitchy Gumi Bible Camp. Laugh all you want. I didn't expect that. No, Gitchy Gumi Bible Camp, all right? It was the name of the, the camp. It's up in the very upper peninsula of Michigan. If you've ever been in the UP, there's Copper Harbor. I mean, you can't get much farther north than Gitchy Gumi Bible Camp. And I went there because my uncle, my dad's brother, was a director of the camp. And sometimes my dad would go and be a guest speaker, but I went a couple times as a camper. And at, at summer camp, at least at Gichigumi Bible Camp, during the summer um, kids camp, you had an opportunity to maybe have electives where you could kind of choose what you're going to do during the week. And one of the electives was archery. Are we good on what we know archery is? Google it if you need it. All right, so archery. So I, I chose archery. Never done that before. Never shot a bow and arrow. There's your answer. All right, never done that. I thought that would be cool. I'd like to learn how to do that. And so during the elective, you know, we were to meet out in this big field, and we had a trainer, and the trainer was my Uncle Merton. Now, what's crazy about that is he wasn't my uncle. He was a family member. He was like my dad's third or fourth cousin. I don't know, but we called him Uncle Merton for some reason. Everybody say Merton. Fun kind of word to say, isn't it? Uh, my dad's first name is Merlin. Mel was his brother. So you can kind of see, and mine is Mark. Kind of see where this is going. All right, so Uncle Merton taught us how to shoot bows, a bow and arrow. And the whole goal, right, of archery is, it's, you know, at least for me, it was to hit the bullseye, right? And so we would practice and we'd, we'd train and he would teach us how to shoot this bow and arrow to the point to where we were hopefully, you know, we'd have competitions to see who could hit the bullseye on the target. And I share that with us this morning because I think there's a good picture between archery and fatherhood. Our families are, are like arrows, And dad, the goal is for you to aim and guide your family toward the bullseye. What's the bullseye? Well, I think Psalm 78 is going to reveal to us the bullseye. The bullseye that dads, we should be aiming and guiding our families toward. But also in Psalm 78, it's going to give us some helps on how to do that. And so this morning, I obviously want to address the fathers here this morning, and we're going to look at some characteristics for what it takes to be a godly, wise dad. But I think there's some application for all of us here this morning, too. So what's the bullseye? Well, before we see what God shares the bullseye is in Psalm 78, a few things I want to share. It's kind of like some groundwork here this morning. The first is that Psalm 78 is a historical psalm. All right, so as you read Psalm 78, what you're going to see is that the writer is actually kind of opening up the scrapbook of Israel's history, and he's kind of taking them back and showing them pictures of how God was faithful to them and some of the things they, did do, they didn't do well and all this stuff. So Psalm 78 is a historical psalm. So kind of picture the writer opening up the scrapbook, and his whole point is as he's showing us pictures of God's people, history, the history of God's people, is to teach future generations of God's people, that's us, to not make the same mistakes that God's people did before us so that we can learn from their unbelief, learn from the times when they weren't faithful to the Lord. 
And so that's the first thing, is to understand that Psalm 78 is a historical psalm. It's like this scrapbook of lessons for us to learn from as God's people. The second thing is that Psalm 78, it's intended to point you to Jesus. So how do we know this? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, Jesus, it's recorded that Jesus said these words. He said that, listen, everything written about me in the law, the prophets, the psalms, it says... Right, is about me. And then he goes on and he talks about his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus even tells us that the Psalms are intended to point you to Jesus. Why do we share that? I think it's important because we need to read Psalm 78 thinking about Jesus, thinking about the gospel. And so we need to understand that Psalm 78 is this historical psalm. It's going to reveal this bullseye for us that we need to be aiming our families toward and how best to do that. It's going to lead us to Jesus and the gospel. And then the third thing I want to share is this. Okay, so I want to address different groups of people this morning. So if you're here and you're a single fella, how does this apply to you? I want you to see today's teaching as an opportunity for you to begin to pray that the Spirit of God would begin to develop these principles in your own heart. All right, if you're a single lady this morning and you desire to be married at some point down the road, these are the things that you should be praying for your dad about for your brothers, for the guy friends in your life, and potentially for your future husband if God were um, to have you marry one day. All right, for the moms here this morning, today's teaching for you is to, be, to, to continue to pray about these things for your husband, for the father of your kids, for your sons, for your grandsons. And then dads, obviously, today's teaching is for us, right, to kind of take these principles and truths and begin to ask the Spirit of God to really develop these in us. So there's application for everybody here this morning. So I don't want you, because it's Father's Day, I don't want you like, you know, okay, whatever, I'm out. No, this is for everybody this morning. There's some principles here for all of us. So as we're in Psalm 78, so let's start with the bullseye. What's this bullseye that we should be aiming our families, guiding our families toward? And we're just going to primarily read verses 1 through 8. And as I read 1 through 8, I want you to be looking, see if you can find the bullseye. All right, see if you can find it in these verses. Psalm chapter 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Did you see, see the bullseye? Did you find it? It's verse 7. It's verse 7. The writer says this, so that, he, he goes to, listen, God has given us his word. He's done all these amazing things. And dads, you need to be teaching them to your children. Why? Those little words, so that, verse 7, so that they should set their hope in Jesus, so that they should set their hope in God. That's the bullseye we're aiming and guiding our families toward, fellas, is that they would set their hope in Jesus. That's it. That's what you're aiming toward. 
That's what you're guiding them toward so that they would set their hope in Jesus. Well, what's that mean to set their hope? It, it literally means just a firm belief, a conviction, an absolute guaranteed confidence in Jesus, right? An absolute guaranteed confidence in Jesus that they are trusting in who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do, and that he will do what he promises. It's like this anchor, like this firm hope that this, I'm, my anchor is in Jesus. Well, why Jesus? To help us understand that, go to Hebrews chapter 6. All right, or you see it on the screen potentially, Hebrews chapter 6. Because I think it's going to help us answer this question. Why should we want Jesus to be the hope for our children and our families set their hope in him? Look at verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 6. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, we believe that the scriptures, scriptures teach that Jesus is God. The word became flesh. So if Jesus is God, here from Hebrews, and we understand that it's impossible for Jesus to lie. Jesus is always going to tell your family the truth. Always. And so when your family's putting their hope in Jesus, they're putting their hope in someone who's always going to be honest and upfront and tell them the truth. Always. He's never going to lie to your family, which means whatever promises he makes, he will always deliver on. Always. So dad, when you fail to keep your promises, you want their hope in Jesus because when you fail to keep your promises, their hope isn't in you. It's in someone who will always keep his promise. And if Jesus is God, then he's perfect. He's perfectly strong. He's unbreakable, firm, secure, stable. And if he's God, then he's eternal. He always lasts. So, Dad, when you're not around, there's someone, a hope that will always be around. Even when you're not. Because Jesus is eternal. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus, God, is love, and he's perfectly good so that you can have the confidence then that you're placing your family's hope in someone who loves your family more than you do and who's always has the best interest of your family in mind, even when you don't. And so you want Jesus to be their firm hope because you are guiding and aiming them to someone whose love is stronger than yours, who will always be there when you can't be or you aren't there for them, and who will always keep his promises to them even when you fail in yours. Why Jesus? Why else Jesus? Because when you fail, Dad, when your sin catches up to you, your kids will remember to look to Jesus, not you. Because your sin is going to catch up to you at some point. It just does. You're going to fail. And you want your kids hope in Jesus so that when that happens, they're not looking to you, they're looking to him. And yeah, your family will be discouraged, they'll be disappointed, they will feel despair, but they will not be defeated if you have aimed and guided their hope to be in Jesus. Well, why else should we want our family's hope to be in Jesus? Most of us have heard this week about the situation with Michael Ferguson, right? Michael's been part of Living Church since he was a teenager. He's 20 years of age. Often see him playing the drums on Sundays. 
Well, Michael's been struggling with back pain for quite some time now. And it just got unbearable this past week to the point to where he goes in the ER and they run some tests and they find out that he has a mass on his spine. And they begin to see other places in his body. Come to find out this 25-year-old kid has been diagnosed with cancer. So he goes in the ER Tuesday. He's in the ER all day Wednesday. It's 1045 at night on a Wednesday night, and I get a call. Look down at my phone. Kind of weird to get a call that late. It's Michael. Right? I'm like, what in the world is this guy calling me for? I mean, he's in the hospital for crying out loud. So he calls me, and he says, hey, I just kind of wanted to let you know, give you an update. You know, typical Michael, just this sweet joy. I mean, if you know him, I, those are the, just the two words that I can't, that just to me, describe him. Just this sweet joy about him. He's like, yeah, I just kind of wanted to let you know and kind of what's going on. I'm like, all right, so how are you doing? He's like, yeah, I just have to tell you. He's like, this diagnosis has given me a lot of peace. And he explains why. And he's like, because, you know, it just explains why I've been in so much pain for almost two years. And I had to stop him. I said, do you realize what you just said? He's like, what? You just said that this diagnosis of cancer has given you peace. How, come on, how in the world? He's like, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And so the next day, I end up going and visiting Michael. It's Thursday of this past week, and Kinsey's sister's in there, and this entourage of doctors, right, walk in. It wasn't just one. It's like all of, it's, I don't know, it was just a ton of them. And so Michael's just, hey, you know, sitting there in his bed, and they all come in, and they're talking to Michael. And the doctor looks at Michael. I don't know if you remember this, Kinsey. doctor looks at Michael. He says, you just, Michael, you just seem to be really smooth and relaxed about all this. <laughs> you know, and Michael's like, well, I have my, my family support, my church support. And then he looks up and he goes, I have the Lord. I have the Lord. Listen, why do you want your kids hope in Jesus? Because when suffering comes, it is not going to matter if they can throw a 90 mile per hour fastball. It's not going to matter if they got the volleyball scholarship. It's not going to matter if they got a perfect score on their ACTs. It's not, none of that's going to matter when suffering comes because it will come. What's going to matter in that moment is where will your family turn for hope? And that where they turn for hope is a hope that can be an anchor for their soul. Michael's able to say and respond that way because Jesus, his hope is set in Jesus. Jesus is the anchor of Michael's heart. And so, dads, you want to set and aim and guide your family toward hope in Jesus. Because there's only one who can be an anchor for their souls, and his name is Jesus. And a godly, wise dad understands that the bullseye that we are aiming and guiding our families toward is Jesus. So how do we do this? We'll go back up and look at verse 3, 4, 3 through 6. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us we're not going to hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law, his word in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. Notice the focus on fathers. Verse 3, our fathers have told us. So we know these things about the Lord because our dads told us. And then in verse 5, 
God commands the fathers to teach their children about the law, about his word, about his might, about his wonders, about the things that he's done. Now, that Hebrew word that is used here for fathers literally means father. All right, so, I mean, this Hebrew word is used like 1,220 times, right, in the Old Testament. Like 99% of the time, it is directly speaking to the dad in the home. All right, so this is an instruction for fathers, fathers to be teaching their families about the Lord and his word. And the Apostle Paul reiterates this, right, in one of his letters to, uh, to churches in Ephesus and Turkey in the first century. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what? Train them in the instruction of the Lord. And it's the emphasis is on dads. And so, dads, how do, we, how do we aim our families toward this bullseye of hope in Jesus? By you understanding that God's put the primary responsibility on you to teach and lead your family to know of Jesus and his word. It's primarily on you, the father. So it's kind of like you can picture the, the writer kind of open up the scrapbook of God's, the history of God's people. And now he's pointing out pictures of dads like hanging out with their kids. And he's, they've got their kids on their lap when they're little. And they're reading the Jesus storybook Bible to them. Or they're reading Proverbs to them. Right? Or they're out in the field changing a tire with, you know, on their car. And he's talking about, yeah, you know, God's giving us these skills. And pointing them to Jesus. They're out fishing. Right? And they're out there fishing. And they say, oh, this little fish named We'll name him. You know, God made him and whatever. You know, all this. You're just teaching about the wonders of God. Or you're out at night camping and you see the stars and dad's out there reminding kids how big our God is and how he's named the, you know, stars. It's just in Deuteronomy 6, it just says you're walking as you're going. That you're teaching your children about God and his word. Now, so, dads, we need to understand that God has given us the primary responsibility to teach our children, to aim them toward Jesus and his word. That doesn't mean, mom, you're not involved. No, you're involved. You're teaching as well. But it just seems to me as we look at scripture that God's primary, the person he's given this primary responsibility to is the dad. Let me talk to the ladies, young ladies this morning who you desire to be married, right, someday. You need to be looking for a man who understands this. You need to be looking for a guy that understands the bullseye that he's aiming your your family toward, toward Jesus. And then he understands that God's given him the primary responsibility to lead you in that. I know, like, um, for some, like, your dad was absent and your mom was the primary person who raised you. And it's so of the grace of God that God gives moms grace to to, to take, this responsibility, take this responsibility on when dad doesn't. And even Paul mentions this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He talks about how for Timothy, it was his mom and his grandma that taught him the scriptures. So God will give you mom incredible grace as you step into this if dad's not around. But I'll tell you this, that one of the things that Andrea has said to me throughout our, our family life is that one of the things that she loves is when I take the time to step into this responsibility and lead our family spiritually to know of Jesus and his word when we have times around the word together. And she's mentioned that multiple times. And she's told me, you're so attractive when you lead our family in the gospel, right? I'm like, oh, wow, okay, so I'm not attractive otherwise. Whatever, let's talk. Anyways, so 
But I'm just saying, like, right, listen, you need to understand. And fellas, listen, you are most attractive to a godly woman when you are stepping into this responsibility of leading your family to Jesus and his word. You just are. That's right. And, and so I want to challenge the, the dads this morning. Listen, if you haven't been doing this, and I'll just say, I'm leading the way because this past, I get to study this stuff like during the week. And then I'm like, man, I am horrible, right? Like I just have, you get tired, you get tired, dads, you get lazy, right? Mom's praying with the kids. Oh, that's, I'm glad, you know, that's good. Somebody is, you know, meanwhile, we're like watching Netflix or on our phones or whatever. Some of us, what we need to, and so I, I sat our family down last night at dinner. I said, I need your forgiveness because I have just not been effective in taking on this role as your dad and leading you spiritually. Just have it. Something the Spirit was convicting me about all week and just asked them to forgive me. I asked the Lord to forgive me. I said, how, well, you guys tell me. I asked them, I said, how can I be more effective at helping grow you toward Jesus? And they gave some some good ideas, some good thoughts. So, Dad, I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you've just kind of gotten lazy in this, or maybe you've just kind of shoved this off to Mom for a while, you know, and she's taken this on, and you know now that you should, that God's given you this. You need to man up. You need to first repent to the Lord. You need to ask your family for forgiveness, and you need to step into this responsibility of leading your family and aiming and guiding them toward Jesus and his word. And I get that maybe you don't know how to do that, Maybe you grew up in a home where your dad didn't do that. Or maybe you're just kind of afraid of feeling stupid, not sure what this is going to look like or how to do this. Then you meet up with someone in your house church or someone, another dad that you're looking at going, this guy seems to be leading his family well. Can I meet with you? Can we meet regularly? And can you just kind of disciple me on how to lead my family to Jesus and his word? And I want to challenge you to do that. And watch the spirit change you and through that change your family. As you aim and guide them toward hope in Jesus. How else, right? How else, Dad, can you aim and guide them toward the bullseye of hope in Jesus first, right? It's understanding that God's given you the responsibility. And second thing is, is that you understand that you need to be the example of what hope in Jesus looks like. If you look at verse 8. It says, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, verse 8, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. If you kind of scroll down or turn the page to verses 56 through 58, the, the, the writer of Psalm 78 has just previously before 50, 56, he's just given this huge list of all the amazing things that God has done for his people. And then here's their response, verse 56. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his promises, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked God to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. It says they turned away and acted treacherously. How? Like their dads. It's like the psalm writer's like now opening the scrapbook, the history of God's people, and now he's pointing to pages to pictures of kids who want nothing to do with Jesus because dad wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Or dad walked away from following Jesus or whatever. Now, now you now you got this generation of families that want nothing to do with God because they're just acting like dad. Being with the church is important, reading the Bible isn't important, serving people isn't important, being honest isn't important. Why? Because just looking at my dad. 
And we're talking about God's people here. Proverbs 23, 26 says, the, the, the writer of Proverbs, the, he says this, my son, observe my ways. Watch me. Watch me. That if you want your children to be following Jesus, you want their hope in Jesus, you need to set the example. You need to show them what it looks like when, you've, when you make a mistake, when you sin and you confess that. What it looks like to humble yourself before the Lord and before others when you've hurt them. Growing up, there was this commercial, um, like say no to drugs kind of commercial. And there's a, uh, a kid on his, bed in, on his bed in his bedroom. And the dad walks in and he sees this kid taking drugs. And the dad's like, where'd you learn how to do that? Where'd you learn how to do that? And the kid's like, looks up at his dad and said, I learned it from watching you. I learned it from watching you. Dads, your kids are learning all kinds of things from your example. What are they learning by watching you? And here the psalm writer warns us to say, dads, you need to be setting your family's hope in Jesus. Because if you don't, they're going to walk away. And then Psalm 78 gives all these consequences of what it looks like. The discipline of God in their lives. They choose to disobey and rebel. So you say, well, what's this kind of look like? What's it look like for a dad to set the example? There's all kinds of ways, but I want to speak to a couple that I think right now in our culture, Christian church culture, we need to hit on. And, and the first comes from Proverbs chapter 31. We often think of Proverbs 31 as like the, the Proverbs 31 mom, right? Which it's, it's true. It's there. But there's some things for, for men there too. In verse 11, it talks about how... Um, the wife has her husband's heart, that like the husband has given his wife his heart, and he trusts her. And then later on in Proverbs 31, it talks about how the husband praises his wife. So guys, one of the ways you can set an example for your families of what hope and, a, and what a heart that is, is focused on Jesus looks like is just investing in your wife, investing in your marriage. When's the last time you complimented her? When's the last time you took it on yourself to be intentional about building that relationship? One of the best ways you make your kids feel secure is when they know mom and dad are secure. And so, dads, I want to encourage you. One of the ways that you set your hope in Jesus and you set the example of hope in Jesus is by taking care of your bride the way Jesus takes care of his, the church. And so what's that look like for you, dad, to set that example Another way, another way that we as dads set the example of hope in Jesus is by taking the words of Jesus seriously when he says to avoid sexual sin. Jesus says in, Ma in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you, guys, he says, I say unto you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has sin with her in his heart. Listen, I think the sexual sin is the spiritual pandemic among Christian men. And we can't just not talk about it. It is the spiritual pandemic among Christian men. It is killing your marriage. It is killing your intimacy with the Lord. It is killing your connection with your kids. And whatever you think, if you just, and I've heard guys, Christian guys, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's sin. And God, if you're his, will bring discipline into your life. He will not let that continue. 
And you're setting your hope in a lie from the pit of hell. And it is a big deal if you don't think it's a big deal. Because you are believing a lie and is impacting what you are showing your kids where your hope is. And I can tell you, I've shared this in past years, my own, my own struggle. And I can tell you personal testimony that by God's grace, his word in the gospel, God too can give you victory. He can. I've, he can. I'm a living testimony of this. And God can and will give you victory through his word, through the gospel. He can give you freedom. And a dad who's serious about aiming and guiding his children and his family toward hope in Jesus is a dad who takes sin seriously, especially around sexual sin and pornography. Why does this matter? It matters because your kids are going to put their hope in something. They're going to put their hope and confidence in someone. And they're looking to you and they're watching you to see who and where and what that hope should be in. And so a dad who takes aiming and guiding his family toward the bullseye of hope in Jesus, is, is, he takes that seriously as a dad who understands that he is to set the example. Set the example of what it looks like to have hope in Jesus. Again, going back to Michael a little bit on um, Thursday, we were just talking in his hospital room, and he was like all excited to see the kids, his kids, Ruth and Gus, right, two little ones, and they were going to come and visit him. And, and he was like, yeah, we've been teaching Ruthie. We've been teaching Ruthie Joshua 1-9, and we've got all these hand motions that we're teaching her, and he was kind of going through it all. Listen, again, here's a young man who understands that he is to set the example. And he is taking upon himself as the dad to be the one to primarily lead his family in knowing the word and knowing Jesus. And so, dad, how do you do this? How do you aim and point them toward the bulls I have hope in Jesus? You understand that God has given you the primary responsibility to do it and that you are to be an example of what it looks like. And then finally, how else do we do this? A godly, wise dad understands that if he's going to aim his family toward hope in Jesus, then he needs to embrace and teach the gospel. He needs to embrace for himself and teach to his family the gospel, how God has rescued us from his judgment for sin to bring us back into relationship with him through Jesus. Where do we see this in Psalm? Psalm 78. Go look at verses 36, uh, 32 through 38. 32 through 38. In spite of all this, they still sinned. He's saying, in spite of all this grace and mercy and love that God has poured out on his people, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they still didn't believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their flock, the most high God, their redeemer. Sounds good, right? But they flattered him just with their mouths. Is that you, Dad? You know all the right things to say about God, about his word, but there's no change in your heart. But they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not loyal, steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. And then here you see the grace in the gospel of God. Verse 38, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. There's the gospel. 
that even in spite of your sin, God still loves you so much so that he provided a sacrifice for you, Dad, for those sins that you're thinking about, that you've committed, so that those could be forgiven. And Dad, you need to embrace the gospel. And actually, all of Psalm 78 is about the grace and mercy of God and how he rescues his people, how he forgives them over and over again, even when their hearts were unfaithful to him. And that's the gospel. And Dad, you need to embrace that. Because you can't do this without the gospel. This isn't like, I just got to be better. I just No, 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 you need to admit that you can't be. That's why you need Jesus to do it through you. And that's why you need to embrace the gospel and embrace his forgiveness and then teach your family this. We were in house church a few weeks ago, and we were talking a little bit about Psalm 78. And we were just asking people to share testimonies of maybe examples of how they've shared God's wonders with their kids. And, and that night, Chris, who was up here earlier doing the welcome and did, told a fabulous dad joke right this morning. Chris was, up, was sharing in our house church that night how um, this was years ago with their, with their kids. He started sharing with his kids um, how he came to know Jesus. And so he's just sharing his Jesus story with his kids. And their oldest son, Quinn, is hearing this. And Quinn's like, you know, I've never done that. I've never given my life to Jesus. And so here's Chris just sharing how Jesus had changed his life. And through that, Jesus changed his son's life. Quinn, in that moment, he's, Chris is sharing the gospel. He's embraced the gospel. Now he's sharing it with his family. Dad, when's a, have you ever told your kids your salvation story? Have you ever told them your Jesus story? Like they're too young. Draw it out for them. Get a piece of paper, crayon, start drawing out what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. Because a dad who is aiming and guiding his family to, to, to hope in Jesus is a dad who's going to embrace the gospel for himself, who's going to realize that Jesus loves him so much that Jesus went to the cross for him, for his own sins, as well as for the sins of his family and his kids. He's going to embrace the gospel. So as the band comes, I want you to be thinking, fathers, what's the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? What's the Spirit of God saying to you? I would just want to say to the dads who... Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? <laughs> that Jesus loves you, Dad. He loves you. Maybe you never heard I love you from your dad. You have a heavenly dad who's constantly telling you he loves you. So much so that he put his own son on a cross to show you what love looks like. And so what's the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? Dad, what's the Spirit of God saying to anyone this morning Maybe about what to be looking for, what to be praying for, for the men in our life? So I just want to take a moment and want everybody to just kind of close your eyes. I just want you to pause and ask the Spirit to reveal to you what's something that he, He's impressing upon your heart right now. Maybe something you can put into practice in response to the truth we've heard today. Just listen. What's he saying? Would you stand and would you cross the aisles? Encourage those in the back if you'd like to come forward and just kind of join us in this last time of worship here together. As you do that, I want you to imagine now that the writer of Psalm 78 opens to another page in the scrapbook of God's people. 
And dad, on this page is your picture with your family. It's your picture. What will it be a picture of? Is it a picture of you aiming and guiding your family to Jesus? Or something else? And I don't want to assume that every person in here knows Jesus. The first step in pointing your family to Jesus is that you know Jesus. That you've surrendered your heart to him. But maybe you need to ask, Dad, what do I need to begin saying no to so that I can begin saying yes to helping my family to see Jesus more? Maybe it's I need to reach out to someone in my house church or to ask them to help me just become more effective in leading my family. Maybe it's you need to repent to the Lord for your sexual sin and you need to confess that to your family and ask for freedom and victory that he'll give you. I don't know. But I want us to embrace the gospel as we sing. And so, Dad, embrace the love of Jesus, knowing that because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, even when our hearts are not steadfast toward him, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for our iniquity. He atoned for our iniquity. Lord Jesus, we love you. We just ask that you would move in this moment. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your spirit who's the trainer teaching us and showing us how to point the, the arrows toward the bullseye. Just speak now. I'm going to ask some of our house church pastors to kind of move to the back or the sides. And dad, if you just or anyone needs prayer this morning, just feel free to come and we'll we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. So Jesus, we love you. Speak now. Continue. In your name, amen.